<laughs> okay, I'll break down. I think I might get the wrong sort of attention. When the, just to orientate ourselves, we've been discussing an interesting approach to <coughs> the global connection between Jews, and the morale has taken us to an perhaps unique point. Generally, we would process the fact that there's a mitzvah in the Torah called Vaftalech Kamoicha that you should love your fellow Jews yourself. We process that primarily in the realm of um, developing a healthy relationship. What the morale does is he connects that to the performance of the mitzvahs. And he says, based on the, on, on the principle that closeness presupposes a certain overlap. P- people are close when, in other words, it's quite simple. In, in the world of, um, in the world of, of space, physi- physical space, so you, there's, 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 there's a level of closeness that can't be experienced. <coughs> you can never become one with another because physically you occupy different spaces and they, they can't overlap. In the world of ideals, the overlap can happen in absolute fashion. You can become completely connected to the person. If you identify to the part of yourself, which is the level above even the emotions, which is I stamp as my identity the ideals that I believe in, and I happen to come across another person that has those identical ideas, we become completely bound together as people. Because in a place which I've then described as most fundamental to my being, and a place that he's described as most fundamental to his being, so we share the, that same space. And that space can be completely overlapped. So the level of connection that can be gained, that we'll call it love between two people, exists in the place a person's sense of self evolves to the stage where his concept of being is located in the sense of ideals, values, and deeper components of being, and then his connection with others can be on a far more intimate and powerful level. Now I know that was a little bit too abstract, so again the mashalim, the, the, the parables we've used in the past have revolved a lot around um, team sports, where even though that's on a very, let's say, unsophisticated level, but people who support the same team feel connection overlap. People like Joel Marks will be able to. Who do you support, Joe? In all honesty, Rabbi, I say I'm all follow. I'm not all that much of a supporter. That's extremely disappointing. Not really. <laughs> it's good. I like it. Well, I mean, first of all, first of all, one has to think about: Are you really English, or are you just faking the accent? Because part and parcel of English culture is at an early age you you are indoctrinated into the worship of of soccer. I follow Spurs for the sake of this argument. Thank you. <laughs> you know, you just just prod a little bit, and obviously it will, it will come out. It will come out, no question. Um, Can't blame for being ashamed of sports, Spurs. I'm saying, like, yeah, I mean, of all of all of all clubs to support Spurs, I mean, really, marks. If you're going to like commit to supporting someone in soccer, surely it would be Arsenal. United, I don't know. <laughs> the Gunners. Um, it's amazing your your kind of your general knowledge as an American. You like are aware of the fact that there is a is a game that's called football and it's not a group of American pandies dressed up with like <laughs> ten coats of armors bumping into each other. Three hundred pound American. Three hundred pound American pandies bumping into each other because they like so padded that they can't possibly get hurt, and then spending like three quarters of the game <laughs> yeah. talking about stuff and not playing. I mean that's. 
amazing that you know that there's something called football which is not that. Sorry, I didn't mean to yeah, offend. They given oxygen when they run the length of the field once. <laughs> the kids are athletes in their prime. <laughs> um, but yeah. putting putting that putting that <laughs> aside for the moment, the idea is that connection is based on commonalities, and commonalities reach their zenith when they become cherished ideals that I possess. So the Ramchal takes us one step further and he challenges us to re-identify ourselves. He says that the person has been given, as a Jew, 248 positive commandments. Locate your identity in the mitzvah, says he. <coughs> and that's an experience that, that we discussed with Phil previously, that the sense of becoming religious, one of the anxieties and the fears that it produces is if I become this, I will lose myself. I can't be the person I wanted to be. So, th- that fear is, at least from a negative perspective, an indication that we grasp on a certain level that what Judaism wants is not a performance and a behavior. At once, our essence and our being. So, if that essence and being is, is intimidating, so it's terrifying. If the essence and being is liberating, so it's exciting. So, I'd like to <laughs> conservatively conservatively like suggest that maybe it is liberating and that when a person connects to the to the level of self which then is expressed and manifest through the mitzvahs so there's a component there's a depth of being which can be articulated which otherwise would be dormant and we have discussed on previous occasions but let's go through it again the experience of life for example through the different brachot if I experience my sense of sight through the bracha that I make in the morning, my entire being can become transformed. As we said, that person makes a bracha, which seemingly is such a strange thing to say every single morning, because you do it the morning before, but every morning you wake up and you say, thank you Hashem, because you have opened my eyes and you open up the eyes of the blind. Meaning that your experience of seeing should be afresh every day. And if you do that, the joy that you'll get from simply looking at dimensions, three dimensions, and color, and contrast, and focus, will become an enjoyable experience. That same experience, when it's not visited through a renewal, will be bland. So you wake up in the morning, and one thing you say is, Baruch. Now, the word Baruch is a strange word. It's often translated as blessed art thou. Baruch Hashem, blessed art thou. Now those words don't really do anything for anyone. Baruch means, the word Baruch is made up of the source letters that we've maybe discussed before, made up of Bet, Reish, and Chof. All multiples of two. Um, the order is two, 220. Which is, which is interesting why it doesn't go, why it's not Bechor, which means the firstborn which is 2.2200. But putting that aside and focusing on the, on the two-ness of Baruch, so the two-ness is always the progression from the singular to the plural, from the one to the many. Two is the beginning of many. It's symbolic of many. One is symbolic of unity. One is the source. Like One is the principle. One is the cloud. One is the governing theme behind. And the... Two is the applications. The world begins with a bet, with a two. 
because the world is a transition from the idea to its implementation. The transition from idea to implementation is always a progression from one to two. The idea, the idea of transport is a singular, is a singular notion. I would like to go from place A to place B using a vehicle. That idea can be implemented through ships, through boats, through planes, through everything. But in each one of those, of course, is levels and levels. The idea of air travel is a singular idea. But there's many ways of air travel. You can go in a Zeppelin. Don't recommend it. You can go in a hot air balloon. Di dicey. You can go in, a, in an aeroplane. That's something Americans think is called an airplane. Um, that's probably because they can't spell aero. <laughs> you can spell aero? I'm not going to ask you to try, don't embarrass you. A-E-R-O. <laughs> <laughs> so... I love you to say A-I-R-O. <laughs> so... So, so the, the idea, uh, the idea is always one. The idea is always one. The, impl the impl implementation is always many. The process of the creative force is Hashem has an idea. The idea is to have a world. But when the world moves from the idea into being, it starts with a two, with a base, with a B. Two, the second letter. It doesn't start with the first letter because that's a progression. So a brocha is in a brocha is there. What's a brocha? The brocha is the way I relate to the oneness when it becomes <coughs> fractured. The way I reconnect in a world which is filled with diversity, with, with, with many different expressions, and I reconnect it to a singular source. In other words, creation is moving from Aleph to base, and acknowledging creation is moving from base to Aleph, from two to one. That's what a brocha is. A brocha means baruch atah. It means everything which has become multiplied in this world, atah comes from you. Hashem is the name of Hashem. The name of Hashem is spelt with four different letters, but it implies the power that brings everything into being. So I say, the source of all this that I find in front of me is you, the singular thing that brings everything into being. Elokeinu means and that that God consciousness is a communal, shared, collective awareness, which is what we've been discussing until now, that the analogy, the connection that they have to others is when we find the deepest principles located in our own selves, and that creates a bond between us. Melech is the ultimate one in control of everything. Ha'olah means but it's hidden. Poikeach Ivrim, that opens up the eyes of the blind. So it means as follows. In order for us to experience that transition, you have to experience being sightless to being sighted. The experience of sightlessness to sightedness is as follows. You close your eyes, and when you close your eyes, you're enveloped by a blackness. That blackness precludes the ability to see anything. Not the faces of the people you love, not the buildings around you. You cannot navigate your way by sight. You cannot see color. You cannot see space. You cannot see the sky, nor the sea, nor the clouds, nor the flowers, nor anything. And there you are trapped in a world of darkness. And dwell in that world of darkness and experience what it means to have a blacked out being. And then, in order to get a full cognizance of your sight, acknowledge that the sight is a gift, acknowledge that the sight is a higher point that it comes from, Baruch, 
אתו השם אלוהיכנו pause on the word אלוהיכנו and feel the communal bond between you and every other Jew involved in this experience מלך העולם and as you say those words opens up the eyes of the blind you open up your eyes and all of a sudden you can see in three dimensions and you can see nuances of color and you can focus and you can see facial expressions and you can see you can see the world and you can process the world and you can be engaged in the world and every moment of sight is worth more than you could ever put into any kind of financial terms and, you, and you're walking around with that gift every day now when you start to connect to that part of yourself meaning I'm an appreciator of the gift of sight I appreciate that means that you're connecting to a mitzvah you, you're feeling a part of yourself you're digging down deep until you can experience a loftier sense of being and then you have another that shares that loftier sense of being you automatically are bonded towards him seemingly another example of this I don't know if we discussed this is the example of observing the Sabbath doesn't necessarily demand a connection to another human being because it's something which is between you and God but there's no greater unifying bond that connects Jews to other Jews than Shabbos because you part you part of the same process you're engaging in the same thing and that becomes a connection that becomes a glue you sense there's something there that's part of me and it's part of you and therefore you become bonded so the Ramchal says sorry the Maral says that the way to maintain the ultimate level of connection intimacy is to relate to the part of yourself which is deeper and more profound find that part in others and then you can connect in a way which is completely and totally exponentially greater than any other connection you could ever possibly have and that's why when the Torah says Vafter it's saying to you that is a principle whereby when you keep that inevitably you'll be relating to yourself as a mitzvah doer and that's the goal of the Torah is to be able to reveal that level of buried self and bring it to the fore that it becomes your image of being and when you do that your, all your relationships will automatically be shifted yes Joel so, um, when we say this proper in the morning, we should really say with our eyes closed, and then once we that would be a great thing to do. As a practical, as a practical, as a practical tip, to make it a different. In other words, if you do it with all those brokers in the morning, the whole, the whole, great idea. The whole, the whole, the whole process of, of. Um, Welcome to the right. Come. The whole process, if you did that with all the morning brachas, you can imagine how, how empowered you enter into the day. Because you start off and then you, you appreciate, you have a new sense of your, of your sight. And then you go, which means you put on your clothes. So you have an appreciation of the fact that you, you don't have to walk around in rags or naked. And then means you loosen up the, the body so that you can move your hands around. There are people who are paralyzed, they can't move. They can't move, and you can move your every movement of every limb is a gift. Zoikev Kufufi means that you can stand up upright. First of all, that you can stand upright, that you're not a hunchback, but also that you can actually stand upright. You can stand upright. Which which again has 
significance in terms of you're the only being in the world that can do that and therefore that's a dignified way of being which is a separate discussion and then you go into the fact that you can wait, put one step in front of another, making Sadegavra, that you have shoes to wear, which means that your needs are catered for, that the landing on the earth should be not so abrupt. It's an amazing thing that just, just through meditating on those brochas, you'll have a. Co- There's been a strong relationship. It's been. A, I saw the video clip of a study that has recently been conducted on appreciation and gratitude. Phone call. It's brilliant. I've got it, yeah. Phone call. It's phenomenal. Phenomenal. Pathetic, but <laughs> people have proven that gratitude enriches your life. And what they do is, what they do is they go like, they, they, they prophetic or pathetic? I said pathetic. Oh. I said pathetic because it's, it's so <laughs> pathetic that I kind of you need to bring a scientific <laughs> study. And now you know that saying thank you is actually <laughs> but, but basically, what they do is they get a person to write uh, a letter of thank you to a person that they're close to in their life. Wait, wait, you can give your version afterwards, this is my gear, yeah. so, okay? And then they, they, write the, they write it down, and then they say, now phone the person and tell them what you've written. And then they, they, they video their phone calls. And you have this person that they just written like these I'll put it on my PC, I'll bring it tomorrow, maybe. And <laughs> for a proper viewing, you'll see Charles' PC tomorrow. But the point being that once a person expresses gratitude, they see this uh, immediate rise in the happiness levels. It's been documented. Is a rise but that I mean I don't think what the, the reality is it's hundred percent true. That if you walk around life thinking that you've been hard done by, so life isn't such a happy place to be. If you walk around life thinking that everything ever is a gift, so then it transforms your entire mood. So the Bokas is 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 an entrance into this expansion of the emotional quality of my life. But again, it has to be done with a little bit of meditation. Not just rush through and, you know, garbled Hebrew words. That doesn't do it. Even though it's Geschmack, and I also enjoy that kind of... But, yeah. Good. How do you have a... Pers- uh, how do you make a, like a dynamic shift in your perception of having an appreciation for something that you have no idea what it's like to live without? Mitzvahs? Sight? I, I'm not sure what you mean. Yeah, okay. How do you have a, an accurate, true appreciation for sight when you have no idea what it's like? To right, so you have sight. to create an internal contrast. Yeah. Well, that's what I did. You close your eyes and you imagine. You can't get really there, but going to the Museum for the Blind would be a great starting point. But you don't have to go as far. In other words, you can imagine sometimes, sometimes you, your, your muscles have been stiff and your movement's been restricted. So you can take that experience and then say, well, what would happen if it would be even more restricted, even more restricted, even more restricted, even more restricted until you, you feel like, you know, paralyzed. And then you, then you just go like this and you say, oh, wow. Sick or injured. Yeah, you know, there's plenty, there's plenty places that we can go on with information, experience it, and then you can experience the contrast. Good. Now, what I'd like to do is one more question from Joel, and then that's your limit for today. How do you not get numb to it? I mean, if you do this process every day, like... After a while, it becomes baroque. So, the rule in life is that newness engages a person with uh, life. So, when you're doing something, if the act is repetitive, so then uh, after a while it becomes stagnant. The... Spiritual gift that we have is called. There's a Gemara which says that 
new is always more interesting than old but the treasures are revealed in the old because only when you go over something again and again are you able to penetrate its depth if you only see something once or twice so then you always live, live on the surface level so the truth is you can't when you, when you open your eyes every day so once you've done it three or four <coughs> times so then it becomes boring so you have to look for, for new meaning you have to find a new point a, a new dimension in it so it could be that one day it will be colors another day it will be depth of perception and then it could be beyond that you'll start to think on a more conceptual level that Hashem has not only given me sight in terms of my physical eyes, but that acts as an analogy to the ability to perceive distance conceptually. Vision. Vision. Etc. And so on and so on and so on. Continues the, the Maral into a new perspective. So that, 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 that's a, a brief recap on Rabbi Akiva's approach to why is it that, that, that he calls the, the mitzvah of loving your fellow Jews yourself why is that a klal god why is it an all-encompassing principle the answer is because in order for that to happen your entire being has to shift into being, identifying yourself in terms of a deeper sense of a mitzvah observer that's a prerequisite for the connection to others who are also of that ilk understood? Then we go on to Ben Azai. Ben Azai gives a different uh, explanation of what's called the cloud God of the He says, this is even greater cloud. And then he says a strange thing. He brings it from a verse, and the verse says, Zet Sefer told us Adam. These are the generations of man. In the day that Shem created man, in the image of God he made him. So Ben Adai says, the greatest principle, the group which encompasses all other mitzvahs in the Torah, is this verse which says, this is, a re- re- this is a recording of the generations of man on the day that Hashem created man in his image. Why is that an all-encompassing principle that governs the Torah? So the morale goes on and I read, and it's going to be a little bit hard to navigate between the text over here, so just bear with me. He says, The fact that a person can have offspring, children, that makes him in the image of God. Because when a person doesn't have children, he takes away from the Creator, as it were. A person that doesn't engage in being fruitful and multiplying, it's as if he takes away from the image of God. As it says, in the image of God, he made him. And in close proximity, it says, you should be fruitful and multiply. So I'm going to keep on reading the text, and then we have to kind of go back and discuss, because this notion of the connection between the image of God and reproduction seems a little bit strange. Why should it be? In other words, don't animals reproduce as well? In fact, everything in the world pretty much reproduces. So why is it there's something intrinsically, spiritually important about human reproduction? He goes on and he says, The demus, the image, has to remain in existence. And when he reproduces, so the image remains alive. It remains in existence. So let, let, let's discuss this briefly. You know, we've spoken a lot about that notion of form and the idea of matter. Form and matter is a relationship between a pot and clay. 
form is the is 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 the the clay as it as it lies in an in an unformed globule on the potter's table. Now this clay can be molded. The ultimate way that the potter chooses to mold his clay is called the form. So say for example, if I may borrow this, in front of me I have a mug. Okay, it's glass, but for a moment we'll pretend that it could be made from any material. Even if it's glass and we think about what the the glacier glacier? Glazer. The glazer, how I decided to make this this cup of glass, it means as follows, that the glass, the raw glass, or the melted glass, could be formed in any way. The <coughs> he chose to impose this particular form on the raw material. He molded the raw material into this form. The form that he gave the raw material is never ever, doesn't exist in this physical world. It's an idea. It's a concept. In his mind is a concept of a cup and it has a certain diameter, it's round and it has a handle on it. That's a vision that he has in his mind. That vision can never be taken away or it can never exist in the physical world. It can be carried by a physical construct, but it can't be limited by the physical construct. So for example, that form can be born into the world when I mold the glass in that, mat in that way. If I then take a hammer and I smash the glass, have I smashed the form? No, the form still exists. The form is in existence. Because I can take another bit of glass and I can make the form again. You can't take the form away. The form is unbreakable. The form is beyond space and time. So the form which the matter carries is something which is carried by the matter, but it doesn't become the matter. Is that, is that, is, is that too abstract? I, I'm getting a lot of frowning, furrowed eyebrows. This, this is looking like I'm not getting my point across. Um, okay, let, let me try to explain it a different way. Let's say, in your mind, in your mind, Dean, you'd like to make a cup for yourself to drink from. Okay? So you envision a, you, have a, you, start off with a, you start off with a very, very ethereal notion. The ethereal notion you have is, I'd like something that will hold, will contain the liquids that I swallow on a regular basis. Whiskey. And single malt. More peaty than sweet. Um, I sensed it. Um, and so you'd like, you'd, like, you'd, like, you'd like a vessel to contain that brocha. Um, so that notion is, is it's a very undefined seminal idea it becomes more concretized when you think would, you'd like it to be round and you'd like it to have a certain volume and it, get, it becomes even more concretized when you think you'd like it to have a certain material and a certain dimension and a certain shape and eventually in your mind's eye you can picture let's say in this case small tot glass. Now you've got that picture in your mind. Now what you have to do is you then you have to go find glass and make sure that the glass can be molded into those specifications. Correct? That whole notion from its highest point of an idea that I want something to contain my liquids 
to its ultimate expression, first of all, conceptually in your mind, when you actually see the dimensions visualized in your mind's eye, so it's actually produced. It's a process which is, which is a process of concretization. It's something which is very ethereal, takes on more and more and more and more, until eventually it takes on physical form. But the relationship between the initial idea and the physical form is always maintained. Which means when you have that thought glass, you could always trace it back to its origins of, I need something to contain my liquid. That initial idea doesn't become bound by the ultimate form you create. Because the idea doesn't go away when your glass breaks, you'll make another one. When that breaks, you'll make another one. So what was the glass? The glass was simply something that contained your idea in the physical form. But it didn't limit your idea. It didn't capture your idea so that now you could no longer think of another way of making glass. And when the glass is broken, you think, well, what do I do now? And the answer would be blank. There's no problem. Because the glass, in fact, in fact, is the most temporary expression of your idea. It's the weakest expression. That's where you see that the spiritual world is a far more solid reality than the physical one. Austin. What about like fleeting memories or someone recording a design or a <coughs> prototype so that they have something to remember um, or build off of in the future? Whereas if you were to lose that, oh my gosh, I, I have this invention encapsulated and made it physical and now I don't know how to... 100%. In other words, if you lose it in the, in, in the higher realm, it's lost forever. Not if you have it in the physical. You mean only because you can regain the conceptual from finding the principles which govern the physical production. It's not because you have something physical. It's that the physical acts as a trigger to remember what was behind it. Okay. You following me? The physical just contains, when, when you contain the physical thing, it not only contains the shape, it contains everything. It contains everything, but it doesn't limit everything. What happens, I'll give you an album. So you come up with a prototype. You've made this fantastic way of designing um, an automated beer mug. All you do is you sit, at the, you sit at the table, and when you blink, the gushing gold liquid is thrust into your mouth would sell very well on the college campus. Um, so you come up with this prototype and you design it, you make it. And then, unfortunately, you use it too frequently. And, uh, smash it. <laughs> <laughs> no, and you don't yeah. smash it, but you completely forget how you made this thing to begin with. So what you do is, you'd study it backwards. You'd look at the way it was produced, and then you think, okay, what principles of physics and engineering are behind this in order that I can reproduce it? So you'd be moving from the concrete to the abstract. But in order to reproduce, you'd have to go back to the abstract world and then come down again. You following me? Whereas if the idea would not have been lost in your mind, it would have been made in your mind, you could destroy the cup a thousand times, it would never be lost. If you lose the idea and there's no physical representation, so then it's lost forever. So the breaking and creation, the creation and destruction in the world of ideas is far more powerful than in the world of the practical. In other words, the physical world is the weakest representation. It's the most flimsy of realities. It's very counterintuitive because we respond to what we can touch and feel as being solid and what we can't see and can't feel as being very touch and go. 
exactly the opposite is true though. Sha'anan. And the thing is that you say our physical actions affect spiritual That's exactly the same point. The point is they go upwards, not downwards. They go upwards and downwards. Physical acts, yes? Yeah. When you perform a physical act, there has to be an origin to where that act began. Let's say, for example, one morning you decide to say hello to me, which I strongly recommend in the future, please. <laughs> so, what would happen is I would be walking down and then uh, you'd turn towards me and acknowledge that I do have an existence by smiling at me and saying, good morning, squire. You don't have to use the word good, but squires <laughs> should definitely be there somewhere. So, as a result, as a result, it's not that the words began with you seeing me. What happened was you had some type of ethereal notion that you should greet me. An idea. That idea may come from the fact that you feel an affinity towards me or that you feel like you should bestow kindness on creatures below you. Either one of those initial conceptual ideas would, so, would serve as an origin in your mind which would then eventually be concretized into Alice Quiet. Right? Now, that would be, a, as it were, a bringing down of a deeper idea. Now, the question is, once it's been brought down, does it then rescind? Let's, let's not go there for the moment because it's not directly related. Okay, but just in terms of, I think we... Why, 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 why the puzzled expression? Forbidden. Go on. Do you so have a question? So, uh, although, although you seem... You've illustrated that the world of conception is, is, is not bound by the same... Or, or at least not to the same extent as, as the world of physicality. But there, it, there does seem to be that, that the relation of the individual to, to the physical constructs limits his potential in the world of... of um, concept. Concept, yeah. I mean, if a person only can see the physical and you can't go up to its source and origin, so he becomes trapped by the here and now. Meaning, if a person sees the cup and he can only grasp the cup for its cupness in this world, so when it's broken, he's at a loss. Whereas if he can trace it to its origin, so the fact that it breaks is irrelevant. So I'll just make a new one. Okay, gentlemen, we have run out of time. Uh, I apologize for the long introduction to something that we haven't yet got to, but there will be the relationship between reproduction and image of God.